Probably the most knowledgeable, I would say second most knowledgeable film person I know as far as people in my life. I would say Scutch, who's been on the show, is like a step below you, but he and I can talk about film for hours and it will go on forever. And he's like, I don't know, eight years older than me. And he has kids, and we read stories about scary kids. And uh, his he he loves to talk about classics, and he loves to talk about horror. And I think you are uh, you are probably the biggest fucking nerd we've had on this show. All right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> as far as horror goes, as far as film criticism goes. I think the most important part of your character, your demeanor, comes from, and stop me if you don't want me to talk about it, but you run a sort of uh, blog aggregate of where you judge and critically talk about horror films. Right, yes. And the media for which you judge is by elaborating on how many alcoholic beverages you must consume... In order to get through that movie. Basically. <laughs> Is that correct? That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, if each movie gets a, a rating, a star rating, and then also a beer suggestion. It's not necessarily a rating because... Uh, you know, if a movie is really good, the beer recommendation will probably be lower. Uh, if the movie's bad, the re- beer recommendation will be higher. But then there are other things that come into play. I never recommend a lot of beers for a subtitled movie, for instance. <laughs> yeah. For you know, for obvious inflicts. reasons. Um, no one wants to. No one wants to actually read while they're watching a movie. I don't mind it, but, you know, if you are drinking a lot, it, it's going to get harder the more you drink. I don't care I who remember you are. being really stoned and watching uh, La Orfanada for the first time by um, some great Spanish director. I don't think it's Guillermo del Toro. I think he just produced it. But, um, man, it was tough to pay attention to that film. And it's beautiful and haunting and sad. Not a horror film I would suggest people watch when they're stoned. Probably not a great idea. And and there's other movies, though, that are of good quality. And I will give maybe a higher beer recommendation, too. Just because they have easy-to-follow stories. And your enjoyment, as with many other things, will be increased. If Amplified you have some. by good beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. I do appreciate that. It's like the, uh, it's the way food is enhanced by smoking weed. It yeah. just tastes better. You you are hungrier as an individual. The world is brighter. The foods are tastier. 
Yeah, so that's how many beers is how many beers? Although it doesn't sound like a horror movie blog. Given the plug with that title. No, I appreciate the plug. (laughs) I wanted to plug it, but some people don't like me plugging their their shit. So I'm glad that you like me plugging your shit. Um, I do. It's it's hard to tell people what it's called though because of all the the hyphens. The people who listen to this show would read a site like that. Well, in that case, it's how hyphen many hyphen beers dot blogspot dot com. Can I just Google how many beers will it come up? I don't think so because I think that's a, a going to be a fairly common phrase. Hmm. I probably could have come up with a better how title than that. Many beers blogspot. And there it is. I didn't even look at the screen. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a no. You have to really seek it out, I guess. <laughs> how many beers break the law? <laughs> that's the that's the number one. Well, somebody and somebody took it without the hyphens. I bet theirs is easier to find. <laughs> Whoever got that name without the it's, hyphens. It's probably the people who like to blog about safety of drinking. Yeah. How many, how beers? many beers until you've you know you shouldn't do various things. I suppose. So say it one more time. How many? Yeah. How dash many dash beers dot blogspot dot com. I'm fucking bookmarking this. So when you um when you told me about it, I uh I immediately started like reading everything. I went back like to some of your first reviewed stuff and just started going forward. It got me to a point where I I like uh I knew I wanted to have you on the show just because you clearly care about the genre. And I think that's a fun thing to bring to the show because it's just like really how many people on this show, can I talk to for hours about just the quality and history and aesthetic and, you know, cultural impact and references and just really digest a fucking horror narrative with. But, like, you also have your own, you know, justified opinion. You're not just someone who continually goes with the flow of things. I think most of our conversations revolve around horror films that people don't like. And we kind of just say, nah, those deserve second chances. You know, um, a lot of them do. A lot of them didn't get the appreciation initially. Now it is, uh, last week I was watching Joe Bob Briggs's <laughs> Thanksgiving marathon mm-hmm. and... Shudder? Yeah, on Shudder. Shudder, sponsor us! <laughs> And he talked a little bit about how nowadays it seems like any movie that came out in the 80s that wasn't appreciated at the time is automatically loved a by a certain segment of the horror fans, even if it is not a very good movie. Sure. Uh, and the one he was talking specifically about the movie Blood Rage <laughs> in that regard. And, I mean, Blood Rage is a, an awful movie, <laughs> but... And it's not hard to see why people didn't go see it on its initial <laughs> release. But yeah. it's also, you know, looking back and you're not expecting much and this comes out, you're like, well, I've seen every slasher movie that came out in the 80s. <laughs> and then suddenly, oh, wait, there's also this one? And all right, so it's kind of a turkey, but <laughs> it's, I haven't seen it a thousand times. By like your definition, one. what is a turkey? <laughs> Well, just one that isn't really worth watching, maybe <laughs> second time. Oh, you mean it's like specifically a movie? What What is your, what do you lump in the category of turkey? Of a turkey? Well, 
Wes Craven's shocker, <laughs> I, I would call a turkey. I watched that recently, too. I actually thought the design of things was okay. I just, There's a lot of possibility just, Sure, in that movie. there sure is. Yeah, it just doesn't... Do anything. Uh, no. No. No, no it doesn't. Um, so I'm going to run through a list of things, because I've been waiting for someone like you to come on the show. I've had a bunch of new people, but not many of them consume media as much as I do. Okay. That's my one problem with you, Django. I love having you on the show, but you don't fucking do anything. You don't watch anything. You don't play any... Well, now you're playing stuff, but you weren't playing anything. And uh, you need more horror in your life. So, The Terror. Did you watch The Terror? AMC? Ten, ten part miniseries? I didn't. Uh, is That's with Eli Roth? No, this is, this is the... Um, his name um fuck I thought you meant that that new uh history of horror thing that Eli Roth was doing no I don't know what the hell that's no the terror the terror was a 10 part miniseries on AMC based on a a story a bestseller that is based on true events but you know drastically altered to be a fun narrative um uh it's the discovery of the arctic you know, um, the cartography, it's the 1800s, people are mapping out the globe, and it's a race to, you know, discover the ice caps. So, like, three ships go out there, and, and you know, they start to experience things. Like, they start to see, you know, apparitions, they, they suffer very real diseases, they turn on each other, um, and there's some really great acting. Um, I think, okay, I think I did hear Syrian Hines... Um, J- Jared, fuck, Benjamin Button. What's his, um, the Scotsman. The bad guy from Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. He plays Moriarty. Jared, I forget your last name. Um. Yeah, I can't think of it. He, uh, he plays the main character, uh, the one captain that no one can listen to because he's like a drunk and uh, it alludes to Jack the Ripper, does a bunch of great stuff, very time period-y stuff. And there's also a big fucking monster that kills people and knocks their heads off. Yeah, I definitely I definitely heard about it, so that gets your recommendation. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm not disappointed that you've watched it, because now I think you should go watch it. We talked about this briefly. I'm not going to elaborate on it. But um, when people ask me what my favorite movie was this year, I usually say Mandy. We talked about Mandy a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I liked Mandy a lot. Visually, of course, super impressive. And I'm a, I love Nicolas Cage. And I do, too. This, I have a really soft spot for him. He was very good for this material. He was a perfect choice. Uh, I think, obviously, the director understood... Nicholas Cage. The funny part is he was originally optioned the bad guy of that movie. Oh, really? And they wanted to cast someone younger for Nicholas Cage's character. Because that role just fits him so perfectly. He reads the script at Elijah Wood's behest. Mm-hmm. Elijah Wood says, I know a guy who wants you in a movie. Gives him to Cosmos. Cosmos gives him the script. He reads the entire thing. Cosmos says, play the cult leader. Nick Cage comes back, no. <laughs> I want to play the main character, the grief-stricken, you know, crazy, you know, Liam Neeson of this movie. I like that Elijah Wood has such great taste. 
in so these I. movies. And so he's do I. getting them made. It's awesome. He's not just getting them made, but he's uh, he's perpetuating it. Yeah, he and he spreads his the word. Uh, buddies from the company were on the Shutter show, The Core. And That's fucking great. They oh, they seem like awesome people, and uh, that was before Mandy had come out last year. Yeah, that was a really cool movie. I like I told you before, I did not like Cosmos' previous movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah, not a fan. It's uh, it's a bit two thousand one Space Odyssey, but more acid, but more extreme close-ups too. Sure. There were. I just was dying for the camera to pull back a little bit. At any yeah. moment, really. It was just a series of extreme close ups in do my memory. Do you think it has anything to do with budget? I assume it I, has something to do with budget. That many close ups? <laughs> I, I think there was something more than budget going on. They don't. <laughs> so it's just all design. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody told him, like, hey, next time around. Maybe pull the camera back a little bit. <laughs> Let the actors breathe a little. I don't think I talked with anyone about it on the show because it kind of just came and went and I, I wasn't recording with anyone during this period. Um, Halloween. The new one. Yeah. By uh, by the by the boys that do the Seth Rogen movies. Danny, yeah, David Danny McBride Gordon Green. and Evan Goldberg. Right? David Gordon Green. David Gordon Green directed wrote, it. Helped. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. helped write it. Um, and Danny McBride co-wrote it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, Halloween's tough because it, it's got one of the worst continuities of any horror franchise. Oh, and man. it keeps starting over. Like, they don't usually start over as many times as Halloween does. And you are absolutely correct. When Halloween H2O came out, <laughs> I was just... So angry that they would have the nerve to disregard Halloween 4, 5, and 6, which are generally not too highly regarded, but I was still regarding them highly. Yeah. And to just come along and be like, well, those didn't happen. You know, now it's common to reboot and start up wherever you you feel like. But it was weird then, and then I only got used to Halloween H2 after a while, I would describe it. I kind of... Slowly got used to the idea of it, and after a few times I saw it, I was like, all right. Now, you know, in 2018, Halloween started again since then, and we had the Buster Rhymes one, and huh. it's kind of like it can't get any worse in, in of a spot than it was in, so why not make one that picks up after the first one? Like, I agree. I wish that they could, they would have included Halloween 2 in this. I really think Halloween true. 2 is... One of the best slasher sequels ever made. And yeah, it's weird that there's nobody in the hospital. But <laughs> I love the movie. I, I, I wish that they'd continue Jamie Lee Curtis's character from there. But uh, yeah, the, the new movie wasn't bad. The opening credits were great. Yes, they uh, were. All the portrayal of Michael Myers was great. But it Everyone's was in those long shots wobbly. recently. Yeah. The movie gets a little, shots. like, weird in the middle. Uh, I found myself thinking, like, now where is Lori? What's she been doing? Spend, <laughs> yeah. spend some time I did find the, the editing... And... I found the editing a little, um, a little con- confused. It didn't seem like it knew what to focus on. It almost, like, it tried to... It tried to do too much. Um, whereas I, I really could have just watched the entire movie 
about Lori and Michael, like the two sides switching off, like it usually does. You Do you know? think they've, they Michael figured they had to have some teenagers? It's a Halloween movie, so there's got to be some teenagers who get this, killed. I actually think this one, it didn't have to be. But I think that they pushed for it because a uh, younger audience right. sells more and yeah. spreads more. So, um, yeah, I think the slasher genre has the opportunity to cater to a younger market. So I think that's why they did that. You know, that's that's why they plug that, because they want to make they want the movie to be successful. And nothing's more successful than creating a movie that more people can consume and is more accessible for younger generations because they're the more likely of all to mindlessly consume it, not think very much about it, and then spread the word everywhere. Now, I do wonder how many kids went to see this new Halloween without having seen a previous Halloween That movie. is an interesting concept. And if, if they enjoyed the movie, like, I can't imagine what it would be like to see it without any knowledge of what's going on before, but... I admittedly never really quite loved the series. I always kind of... I thought it was the least enjoyable of the, like, Holy Trinity, which is Freddy, Jason, and Michael. I just think, like, out of the three, I enjoy Friday the 13th the most. I think... Nightmare the Nightmare on Elm Street is the most fun, and I think maybe the first Halloween is probably the best looking, or the you know the best shot out of all of them. I mean, there's some great fucking shots in Nightmare on oh, Elm Street, though. Yeah, definitely. Now, I uh, Friday the Thirteenth, as far as an entire franchise is, I think easily the best of the three. I. Impartial to agree with that, especially the eight Paramount ones. I know a lot of people don't like Jason Takes Manhattan, but the Paramount I do think Jason Takes Manhattan is laughable. <laughs> but I'm glad that you like it so much, so much so as to write a dissertation on it. Yeah, you won't hear me bad mouth it. I, <laughs> uh, I I did a a paper in college on it. Not like a paper paper. It was you know. Ten pages, double space, but but that's still more than anyone else wants to talk about. Probably, Jason, Jason yeah. Jason I guarantee the teacher didn't have to read too many papers on that movie. <laughs> I remember you telling me the story about that at a party, and you just said something along the lines of like, "Yeah, no, I was one of the first people to raise my hands, and I immediately knew what I wanted to talk about, and it was Jason Takes Manhattan." I yeah. just, it, like, how did everyone not look at you and just be like, "What"? <laughs> Oh, I was sitting in the front row, so I don't know what they were looking at me like. <laughs> but that's probably exactly what they looked like. Huh? <laughs> Jason takes what? What's he? You know, it's a weird title for a movie because the Muppets took Manhattan. Muppets. The Muppets also took Manhattan. I could see at the time when that came out that Friday the 13th fans were probably like, what? Jason <laughs> takes Manhattan? That's stupid. But for me as a little kid... Uh, I just thought it seemed like endless possibilities. Sure. And new, new sandbox for him to play in. Yeah. But, and I've, I've never disliked it since then. I liked it as a kid. I like it now. It's not like the Dark Crystal or something, which is awesome when you're a kid. And then as an adult, you try to consume giant it. turd. 
Try to, you turd. said try to consume it. I don't mean to consume a giant turd. Giant turd. You want to know something something weird that I just watched for the first time? Yes. Jacob's Ladder. I, I, I just had, watched that within the last couple years, having never seen it before. I had never seen it because I knew fucking everything about it. Yeah. It's like the sixth sense of the 80s. You know, like everyone fucking saw it. So everyone knows this, the, the twist. No need to see it. Know what's coming. Yeah. You know, you take the punch away from a movie that's built on the punch. It's some, it's some, it doesn't taste good. When I was younger, I watched the first Planet of the Apes. Sure. And I knew what happened. I believe the final moments were on the really cover of the copy I got. But my girlfriend, who I watched it with, didn't know. And it came as a surprise to her. And, and the same thing with Rosemary's Baby. Oh, okay. Like, I that's, knew how that was going to end. That's fun. But she didn't. And so even though my enjoyment of the movie was still, like, you know, those are fantastic movies. But it was hurt a little bit by the fact that I knew what was going to be happening at the end. But then each one after it, I, I asked her, I'm like, so you had no idea that was going to happen? She was like, no. And I'm like, so that must have seemed like one hell of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I uh, I had the similar experience when I watched Suspiria for the first time mm. over the, uh, uh, where, when was that? September. I saw that at uh, the Mahoning. Uh, really fucking enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what? I would love to see what another director could do with this material. I think witches are coming back in a big way, storytelling-wise. Fuck American Horror Story. But... Well, Sabrina's back. S- Sabrina did good. Yeah. I didn't hate it. Thought well, it was I okay. Liked it. I liked the first couple episodes better than the last couple. I agree. But, yeah, it was good. I don't. I didn't know anything about Sabrina going into it. I uh, never saw the show. I, I did the, watch the show as a child, the... Uh, What's the actress's name? Melissa Joan Hart. Melissa Joan Hart. I watched her Hart. other show, Clarissa, before, that was explains, before that. Explains yeah, she was explaining or... things. Explain That's all she did. Every episode was just, just her in front of Dumb bitch a, just kept talking. Yeah, she just talked. <laughs> explained a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, man. Um, I didn't even fucking introduce you, and we've been fucking talking the entire time. So, we're... This is... This is episode 119. This is gonna come out on fucking valentine's day or around there somewhere so snuggle up you fucking lovebirds get get naked in your beds together and put this on and listen to this (laughs) or don't because that sounds awkward uh (laughs) because here we are you know like what are you doing you're 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 in a commute you're at work you're listening to this somewhere completely unrelated but I want you to think about this. Think about uh, smoking a joint, eating some pizza, and talking about horror films, because that's what we just did. And uh, drinking drinking some ciders. You brought me some nice ciders. They're very, very tasty. This one's pineapple. It's just uh, pineapple juice with alcohol. <laughs> Good. Extraordinarily sweet, and I love it. Um, I am sitting here with new guest... Of, uh, of this new century, Mark Rooster. <laughs> Was I supposed to say something after that? <laughs> yes, it's true. That's who I am. 
I don't know if you had a gimmick if you were gonna like cockadoodle do or I, I don't know if no, I should play I was, like a sound effect or something. I was wondering about the new <laughs> century part. Uh, actually, oh, we're the, we're past episode hundred, so we're moving. Oh, okay. we're moving okay. forward. Okay, you are the fourth new guest since episode one hundred. One hundred okay. was like a breaking point for me, where I was like, personal record, we lasted two years. Right. So this has been going on for a little bit, but uh, I think the stories are only getting better. I'm really excited about the story we're reading today. I think my dog just ripped ass. Does she seem okay? (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like a uh, fire extinguisher went off about six feet away from me. (laughs) Fuck. So I think it's about time we jump into it, but I need to... I need to explain a couple things first. This story that we are reading today, I, at some point in the first hundred episodes, said that we were never going to read this. So much of what makes this story great is the format for which it was published. I think this is one of the stories that the experience of reading it is only made great... By the fact that it looks like you're reading emails on, like, pages that look like emails. And that's the original way it was exported. A scriptwriter in, uh, in the early 2000s released this little website, and it's just an archive of emails between two people. It, that's it. It's a short little narrative, but you feel like you're reading, you know, something you shouldn't be. Something that was leaked or released or someone didn't want you to know about it. It's just fun. And um, recently what I realized in uh, doing my research for this very moment, us reading it right now, is I don't think the website exists anymore. I think, I think I've only managed to find transcripts on other websites. Because I tried bringing it up on my laptop just now. And it doesn't fucking work. So part of the allure now is like, it existed at one point, but someone took it down. (laughs) How old is the story? If it's, if it's almost 2019, then I would say 15 years, somewhere along those lines. 15 years. So what is that? Like 1995? No. I know. 15 years. 1995? Absolutely not. Yeah. Here's the website. Doesn't... F- do- oh. Oh. No, it doesn't look like it's working. But that's fun. The transcript still exists on creepypasta.com. They uh, they just copied all and pasted it. But uh, the reason I'm reading it with you, Mark Rooster, is I think one of the characters' names is Mark. Yeah. And the funniest way that I know you is that we mostly, when talking, correspond over emails. Isn't that fun? Yes, it's, it's pretty much, th- this is the exact story, isn't it? This is what's going to happen in the story. It's our emails? Yeah. I think one of the characters is. dies, so maybe not. <laughs> Cannot confirm that is not a spoiler. <laughs> maybe? What we're reading today is Dianea House. I think I refer to it as Dionysus House. Um, same fucking idea. Dionysus is the god of mischief, chaos... And drunkenness in, I think, Roman or Greek mythology. Wasn't it Conan the Destroyer? I think Greek. Was he? 
in Conan? Wasn't he the god with the horn? The Dionysus. The ripped off at the end? Oh, I don't know about that. Dionysus that I know is the fat, jolly god that drinks too much wine from Fantasia. Wow, that is, I haven't seen that one. Because that is Dionysus. Yeah, no, I know he's a real guy. I thought that they borrowed that name for Conan the Destroyer, too. Ah, uh, probably. But uh, Dionysus House uh, was released virally in, I think, 2004. I did not read it until 2011. I think my... Uh, my ex or a friend at the time was like, hey, I just saw this creepypasta. You would like it because it looks funny. And I'm like, what do you mean looks funny? And they're like, it's kind of like emails. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. That's a fun experimental narrative. Um, you know, it's it's set in our world. It's like I'm reading. Um, it's like I'm a part of a ARG, you know, a virtual reality game um, based on like a film or, you know, a a video game, you know, a lot of, a lot of media nowadays, like Cloverfield or Super 8, they had viral internet, like, stories and games that were released related to the movies, and I think Dianaya House is kind of like a mix of that and House of Leaves. Okay. Do you know House of Leaves? Yeah, but I'm... It's been a little bit. Yeah, House of Leaves is a weird um, book. I don't even remember the author's name. It's something crazy. But a very experimental book that tries to tell a non-linear story over the course of, like, I think 300, 400 pages. But the pages get just as experimental as the story does. You know, the language will shift, the page will kern, and the words will, you know, be printed on the page upside down, you know. They'll be missing all of these weird layers to the story. And a lot of people compare this to that because it has a um, an allure, a kind of, this is fucked up because I don't quite understand what's happening. Right. You know, it's, um, it's really fucking interesting. That's all I'll say is Dianaea House is very interesting because... Um, because it buys into itself. And what, what makes a better horror narrative than something that totally, you know, gets lost in itself? Like, what do you think of when when I say that, like, as far as horror goes? Well, there's a, not one of his best books, but a, the book by Clyde Barker called Mr. Be Gone, where the demon is inside of the book. And I think the first thing in the book is like, Warning, do not read this book. In fact, burn it. <laughs> um, and the book talks to you for 250 pages. And so in that one, I would say that that, <laughs> That's really that book cool. was very immersed. I didn't actually know about that. <laughs> I, it's, it, I mean, it's not one of his best books, but it's definitely unique. Uh, I've not read that before where the book was talking to me and acknowledging that it's a book. But Have you, have you read uh, John Dies at the End? No, I saw the movie. <laughs> you should read the book. It's it's uh it's that character talking to you the entire book. Um, at some points, you know, even the sequel is called uh, "This book is full of spiders." Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like yeah, it's full of spiders, but they're invisible and in a different dimension, so you just don't see them. And then he like explains that to you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, who is that? Is that John Chu? Um, you know, he sounds like he should be Asian, but he's totally just. 
white and glow. <laughs> um, it's fun. Uh, what I think of when I think of like a horror narrative that buys into itself to co- like full absolution, I think of like the descent. Okay. You know, like I think of something that on paper sounds fucking stupid. On paper makes zero fucking sense. But in film, you know, they it buys into itself so much and it's doing something so like different than having been done before that you're just kind of just like in awe of it from the both the spelunking aspect and the monster and horror aspect of the film. So many accidental deaths in that movie, you know, like that's that's fun. I like that. Yeah, usually the deaths in horror movies are very much on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a couple really great twists and turns and uh, great character progression and uh, storytelling. And not once when I watch that movie do I go, yeah, these are just actresses trying to do their thing. You know, I look at it and I'm like, wow, like these people, they actually sound like they know what they're doing. And I've never seen them in anything else. So I'm buying it. Right. Um, and, and that's just fun. And I think, uh, the mystery and intrigue is something completely different, which is, um, I read a story by myself on, um, episode 111, um, about a guy who goes spelunking and, you know, it's very, just like this, just like this fucking story. I told myself I was never going to read it on this show because that one shout out to episode 111. It's an old school blog spot where it's just a link at the bottom and you just read the story and, okay. it, and he JPEGs pictures and the background is really bright. It kind of looks like a Zanga, you know, <laughs> it's like it looks really old and stupid um, and janky, like from the 90s, like a <laughs> 90s website. And when you read through it, the pictures are so shitty and... The, it's it it's it's like yellow writing on a blue page, you know. It's just like um, it buys into itself, and you get wrapped up in that. And and every time you hit that next page to see, you know, the next thing he discovered when he was climbing around in these caves, uh, Ted the Caver. You're always thinking that you're gonna get to a page, and like you're gonna see a picture, and there's gonna be like something in the background that he's been like talking about, hearing, and you just dread. Every time you hit that next button, because you're just like, I don't want to like see something that I'm not ready for. And luckily the story never goes that way. Not really. It's cool. It is so much more. That story is so much more about your experience on the computer, clicking through those pages and reading it in the, in the context it's presented in. Whereas I was afraid to read either that and Dianiah house because it is like emails. It is contextually planted and exists in this in our world as something that's meant to be read like this. Right. And that's tough. That's weird. How do I tell people that I really fucking love this story if we're like never going to read it on the show? Oh, that's true. So you just it's have a fun to, fucking story. Uh, kind of accept it like <laughs> when you're listening to a comedy album and there's an obvious visual gag that you don't get from the album. That's very true. (laughs) 
I listen to a lot of comedy. Miss some part of it by not <laughs> seeing it in that format. I know. Uh, I know. Even Bo Burnham like mentions stuff like that on his albums. He's like, and now I'm going to do something visual that's not going to carry over into the audio version. I just threw glitter in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fun. So I think we should dive into this. Let me, um, because your name is Mark Rooster, I naturally want you to read for the character Mark. That's good. I won't get confused. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be totally confused. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Eric seems to be the character who starts this. So that means I will start this. How do you? How do you? I, work? I'm not worried. I think I'll be able to read it. Read emails. I think I'll be able to read it out loud <laughs> in a manner that's acceptable to <laughs> you and your audience. That is, um, that is why you are here. <laughs> so I am going to start. Uh, Dianea House, we are reading this on Creepypasta, because I wanted to get the format, but the website isn't fucking working, which kind of sounds cool. You know, now now it seems like the government's trying to cover it up. (laughs) October 7th, 2004. Jennifer, friends and family of Mark, As promised, here are copies of the correspondence I received from Mark over the course of the last month. For the most part, I have merely copied and pasted them from my email application. As you'll read, he requested this, in hopes that you'll better understand why he did what he did. I made this site because it's the most efficient way to share Mark's emails with all of you. I'm not advertising this to anyone. But I do think it would be wise to pass the URL along to anyone who may help with the investigation. As I collect more information from various sources, I'll update the site to keep an accurate record. I'll have that link at the end of the series as well. If you need to speak with me, Jen has my number. Thank you for your patience, and again, I am profoundly sorry. Signed, Eric. September 6, 2004. Eric. Hey man, it's Mark from Houston. The Saturday Night Gang. It feels like a long, long time ago, doesn't it? I found your email from your website. Looks like you're out in LA now. Cool. I remember telling you you should be out there doing the California thing. You still with Connie? (laughs) I'm in Dallas now. I met someone who works in my building. We've been seeing each other for two years now. What do you think the California thing is? Smoking a lot of weed and sitting on a beach? (laughs) What's the California thing? Doing a lot of coke in someone's basement. I don't know. <laughs> well, what's the Dallas thing? I, I think uh, dirt. <laughs> he's doing the Dallas thing. He's wondering about the California thing. Maybe they'll meet up and do a Nevada thing. <laughs> that would. Oh, now I know what that is. <laughs> Listen, the reason I'm writing to you out of the blue is because I got this newspaper article in the mail. Maybe you got one too. It's about Andrew. You remember Drew? Travis would pick him up most of the time. Messy hair, sort of the fanboy type. I didn't remember his last name until I got this thing, and now it's really disturbing me. Do you know what happened? Did you hear about it already? Let me know if you have some time to talk. I can call you, or you can call me if that works better. I'm going to see if I can track down Travis and Dave. A quick search didn't seem to turn up any leads, but maybe they just don't have websites. If you still talk to either of them, let me know. Thanks, Mark. I think this one is also you. Oh, is that what that pause was for? You were waiting for me to continue? No, I, I also need to confirm these things before I tell you, but okay. this one is also you. September 8, 2004. Eric, thanks for quick reply. 
I didn't mean to sound cryptic in my first email, I'm just reluctant, I guess. I hadn't really seen or thought about Andrew since he stopped showing up for game night, and that was five years ago. That was about the time we all went our own ways, back in 1999. What a year. You moved out west, I moved up to Dallas, etc. So when I got this article in my mailbox, it caught me by surprise. And yeah, I'll transcribe the thing for you. I wasn't sure if maybe you were the one who sent it to me. I'll put it into this email at the bottom. I remember him. He was never the kid with the idea. He was the kid who agreed with yours. Slowest to get the joke. Usually laughed the longest. That's Andrew in a nutshell, yeah. At least that's how I remember him. He got on my nerves sometimes, but damn if he didn't love being part of the gang. He'd ask me for some poker chips on card night or borrow dice from my bag, that sort of thing. Whenever we played Tecmo Bowl on your Nintendo, he always wanted to be on my team, which would have been fine if he was any good. I haven't heard from Travis or Dave in years. They fell off the radar about the same time you did. None of us made much attempt to stay in touch. It was just one of those... things. That's okay. I wasn't trying to point fingers. It happens. I was hoping you had already heard about Andrew, like you'd gotten a copy of the article. I still haven't been able to get a number or email from Travis or Dave. Maybe they know more about this than we do. Andrew usually hitched a ride with Travis most of the time. It was, I, it was on the way home for Travis. Didn't Andrew live with his mom, like in an apartment? And his stepdad was a real estate broker, had one house way out past Highway 6. Remember that? Andrew was scared to death of that house. Here's the article. There's a photo of Andrew with it. Looks maybe like his driver's license photo. Still had messy hair. Gunman shoots to kill self in Boise Restaurant. Diners at the roadside breakfast cafe on Interstate 84 fled to the parking lot in a panic yesterday afternoon when a man entered and began shooting patrons inside, killing two. The couple, John and Lucy Madsen, were having lunch when 26-year-old Andrew Hughes entered, wielding a Smith & Wesson 59 pistol, according to police. Witnesses claim the perpetrator was muttering to himself as he approached the smoking section and opened fire into the first occupied booth, fatally wounding the Madsons soon after he turned the weapon on himself. All three were taken to the paramedics to St. Alphonsus Regional Medical Center, where John Madsen and the shooter were pronounced dead. Lucy Madsen, 37, remained in critical condition for several hours, but did not survive the night. Police are investigating Hughes's work and personal background, but as of this morning, a motive for the attack is unknown. If there's more to the article, I didn't get it. That's where it was torn off. The other side is part of a Dillard's ad. This is really bothering me, Eric. What the hell was Drew doing in Boise? With a fucking gun? He hung out with us for almost two years. I just don't get it. And something else is eating at me. I can't figure it out yet. Mark. I'm starting to assume that all of these are from Mark. I think they are, so let's switch off. I'll take this short one. I think it's just all Mark. Could be. This is Mark's story. Mark Rooster. <laughs> September 9th, 2004. Subject, Andrew. Hey. I know how you feel. It's hard to not think of... The times he sat next to us at the table, smiling like a fool, rolling dice and moving his pieces around the board. He loved Monopoly night. 
Fucking hate Monopoly. <laughs> Always wagged his tongue when he counted money. I don't think he realized he did that. It's impossible to think of him shooting up a diner. There's no return address on the envelope? No, but the postmark is Idaho, not California or Texas. Not sure if you've already considered this, but it's possible the whole thing is a fake. Some sick practical joke made to mess with your head. You can get newsprint paper for... Yeah, I've considered it. I didn't tell you this earlier, but I called up St. Alphonsus and asked if they'd had a patient named Andrew Hughes admitted in the last month, and they had no record of him. I asked if it would show if he'd been pronounced dead or alive, and I got transferred to ER, where they kept paramedic records and info on all DOAs. They have him listed. He showed up on August 28th, died of a gunshot wound to the head, pronounced dead by ER resident at 3.14pm. I asked for some contact info, like a phone or address where he might have been living. I got brushed off, told to call the police for that stuff. The hospital wouldn't give out any personal info, at least not without some signatures. I haven't called the police yet, that's probably the next step. Glad to hear that you and Connie are going strong. Sorry to sort of dump all of this on you, I just didn't know who else would care to listen. I'll write if anything comes of this. At this point, I'm thinking maybe Drew's mom sent it to me. Maybe Drew kept track of me when I moved to Dallas and had my address. I'm listed in the book. That would explain the logistics part. I'm overthinking things. Take care. Signed, Mark. September 10, 2004. Subject, thoughts and concerns. Hey again, I know it's late or early depending on how you look at it, but this Andrew thing won't go away. I finally realize what's eating at me and I need to spit it out. Do you remember what went on just before Andrew stopped showing up for game nights at your place? I do. He was gone for two weeks because he had to house sit for his stepfather. Mom and stepdad went on a big vacation every summer for like 10 days and Andrew was just expected to stay behind. He usually just stayed at his mom's apartment, but that year he was asked to mind that house his stepdad owned, the one out in that old, rich subdivision west of Houston. Maybe the guy had a bunch of houses. He was big on real estate, wasn't he? The guy had inherited this dog from one of his clients, somebody who moved out and didn't want to take the dog with them. I want to say and it was an Australian Shepherd. Do you remember any of this? Andrew talked about it the weekend before. The dog had behavioral problems. Whine, bark, scratch at the door, piss on the carpet. Didn't want to be inside, always wanted to be outside. Dad kept it in a kennel except when it rained. Andrew was supposed to take care of the dog, plus a few other things like mow the lawn, that sort of crap. But Andrew did not want to go. Dave got into that argument with him about how it was a perfect setup for a young bachelor. House all to yourself, party time, risky business. And Andrew kept saying it was too cold there for a party too cold. I distinctly remember that. And how he kept asking us to drive out and stay with him while he was house-sitting. I don't think anyone went out there, did they? I never did. We didn't see him for two Saturdays in a row. Then Travis picked him up like usual since he was back at his mom's place. That's the one night with Andrew I remember the most. I bet it's the same with you. It was the most bizarre, frustrating night I had with the group. Andrew walked in quoting some commercial verbatim. I want to say it was a Tide ad. Travis told us he was like that in the car all the way over. Commercials, shows, movies, radio songs. First couple of hours, gaming was like being in the room with the TV on. 
Then he started parroting us. He'd just copy something we said. You remember? Tell me you remember this. I can see it in my head so clearly. Oh, and what was his response to anyone's complaints? Okay. Drew, stop quoting Law and Order episodes. Please give the Pontiac commercial a rest. Dude, shut the fuck up and roll your dice. Okay. And then he'd launch into something else a few minutes later. It wasn't just that he would regurgitate that crap. It was he could take it so far. Whole reams of dialogue that he'd somehow memorized from one throwaway TV episode. Lyrics to entire songs. and went from odd to funny to disturbing in the first hour. Look, I'll come out and say it. Whatever happened in those ten days, it changed him. He wasn't the same person after that. We all know this. We never talked about it, at least not with me around, but fuck if we didn't know instantly that the person who came back from that house was not Andrew. I wrote before that I hadn't thought about Andrew since 99. That was a lie. You know the way your brain sometimes reminds you of things you hate to dig up? The ones that sour your stomach? I've thought about him a few times. About that night. Was that the start of his madness? Or whatever it is that drove him to shoot up a diner? Were we there to see him first lose his grip? Jesus, Eric, why the hell didn't we say anything? You know what kind of reminds me of? The, um, the personal accounts of um, the people who knew Jeffrey Dahmer in high school. Oh, yeah, did you read or watch My Friend Dahmer? I did. Yeah. I did, and I liked it. I, I did, too. It. But yeah, it's the same kind of, you see the fracture, you see the cracking of behavior and attitude and peculiar activity, and I think that that's fun. Right. And terrifying. It wouldn't be fun to occur in real life. No, Jeffrey Dahmer is terrifying to think about. <laughs> Subject. Same day, yes. But 11.38 a.m. Subject is, the door is open. Eric, I woke up to the phone ringing this morning. Turned out to be a reporter from Idaho Statesman. She finally called me back. Did I tell you I called to track down the source for the article? She didn't have any new developments on the story, but will continue to follow up with the police. I asked if she had any other details about the crime, stuff that didn't find its way into the article, and we sort of went over her notes. Most of it I already knew, but there was one piece of info that caught my attention. She wrote in the article that Andrew was mumbling or muttering to himself when he entered the restaurant, but she didn't put it in what he was saying. According to witnesses, he kept repeating, the door is open. Does that make any sense to you? The door is open? Write me back, Mark. September 12, 2004. Subject, a plan. A plan. Eric, haven't heard from you. Just writing to let you know I've had a day to put some distance from the whole thing and I've made a decision. I'm going to drive down to Houston and see if I can find someone in Andrew's family. I once rode with Travis to pick Drew up. I think I know where his mom used to live. And then from there, maybe I can find stepdad in the house. I've tried the Boise lead already. I called the cops and got more questions and answers, and now some Lieutenant Perez plans to call me back in case he needs more testimony from me. Like I know anything. Apparently, Andrew was living alone in a rental up there, working at a blockbuster video. Nice. Yeah, that's about all I got from the cops, and Idaho. So I'm aiming for Houston. Even driving my own car in a cheapo model, it's still going to cost me about $200 for the trip. Jenny is worried about me. She'd rather I stay and pretend the police will figure this out on their own. But I have to go down there, Eric. Here's why. I think Andrew was afraid of that house for a reason. Whatever that reason was, 
During those ten nights, something emptied him, gutted Andrew like a fish, yanked out whatever he was inside, or shocked him into forgetting it all away. He was hollowed out. To fill the void, he absorbed any input he could find. Television, radio, conversation, soaked it up and presented it as Andrew. He could walk and talk, and he wasn't injured, not physically, but he wasn't the same either. There's a gap I need to fill, in my head, like the time in that house. I have these pieces of Andrew that don't match. I need something to match. Hell, I'll feel better if something will just make sense. I won't ask you to fly down and join me, but I could use your help all the same. I have some questions you might be able to answer. Please call me or send me a note if you know any of these. My phone is... removed. What was the stepfather's name, first or last? What was his mom's name? Was her last name also Hughes? What was the name of the subdivision where stepdad's house was? I think Andrew mentioned it. I hope I haven't freaked you out too much with my crazy talk. I know it probably comes off sounding absurd, some of it. Or maybe not. You were there for some of this. If you really think I'm off my noggin, tell me. By all means, tell me. I hope to hear from you soon. Mark. I really like that. I like, um, I think psychosis is a fun, uh, trope in horror. I think that it could be used very deftly. I, I like to think about the village a lot. I think the village has a very, um, its entire twist is almost, uh, mental illness based. Um, I didn't really like Hereditary, though. No. <laughs> Not really. Wow, that's Not the a, one this year that everybody yeah, likes. Yeah, everyone loves it. Huh. <laughs> I definitely liked it. You liked Hereditary? Yeah. That's okay. It's a really well-made film. Yeah, it's I, um, a, a real good, like, devil movie, kind of. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I just, I needed more than Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. All right. I need. I, I've been looking forward to watching that one again, actually, because I only I've only seen it once so far. Oh, okay. I need I've to seen, give it I think another. I've seen it twice. I would love to watch that. Yeah. September thirteenth, two thousand four. My response: The plan. Eric, thanks again for calling. I got your email. As well, and it mentions a few things we didn't discuss over the phone, so I want to add a comment or two. What I remember was what Travis told us, that time he went to pick up Drew and had to go up to his room to get him. This was the last time Drew gambled with us. Travis went upstairs to his room and the kid was pacing back and forth by his bed. Everything was all neat and tucked in, but the carpet was worn in a line where Drew was pacing, like it's all he did. Yeah, I remember that too. And the way Travis told the story, like he wanted it to sound funny, but he didn't believe it was. And Dave laughed. He said, Man, that dude's a broken record. And we all agreed. Nodding and chuckling. Fuck. We all just let it go to that. Like, it was easier to write him off. But Travis was the last one to laugh. He'd seen the room with his own eyes. Go, I really would. But Connie got sick last night, and she's still throwing up this morning. And I don't feel right leaving town with her like this. Understandable. You stay there. I'll continue to email you on this thing. I can't really talk about Drew with Jenny. She never knew him. She doesn't get why this is so disturbing outside of the horror that took place in Boise. That's why I keep writing you. Nobody else gets it. Hey, maybe I'll somehow find Travis or Dave while I'm in town. M. September 14, 2004. Subject, I made it. E. Made it to Houston. The drive was hell traffic and a persistent rattle in the trunk wore me down. 
The AC unit in my motel room sounds like a submerged Cessna engine. It'll be hard for me to sleep with it on, and impossible with it off. Well, at least the whole internet access bit works and I'm able to check my email. Tomorrow is a long day. I'll be prowling Brazewood in your old neighborhood to zero in on an apartment complex. I went to once. Joy. Wish me luck. Mark. September 15th, 2004. Subject. Lots of stuff. Eric. Great news. I have a solid lead. The whole day felt like I was pulling a string from the sand, but it's pointed me in the right direction. These emails are becoming more of a journal for me to help me log my progress. I hope you don't mind. It took me an hour of driving back and forth around the Gessner and Brazewood area before I zeroed in on the right side street. The landmarks had changed. I was 90% sure I'd found the right apartment complex, but I was still grasping air. With no name for Drew's mom and no guarantee her last was Hughes, I went to the manager's office and I just got lucky. Her name is Nancy Hughes, and she stopped paying the rent in September of 1999. Drew paid it for the rest of the lease term, which ended the following February. According to the note in the resident file, he paid in cash. Seems mom moved out or just upped and left one day. Poof. Andrew was living alone in the apartment then. How was he paying for rent with just a minimum wage job? I showed the manager the article about Andrew, and then I lied. I said I was a private investigator. I don't know why. Maybe to justify why I was having her dig up rental information from five years ago anyway. She got off on it and kept rooting around in the Hughes file for me like a movie sidekick. She found something, a third party check, covered rent for December of 98. Kurt Malone. I'm thinking this is the stepdad. The manager photocopied the check for me and 10 minutes later I was calling the phone number printed with Kurt's address in the upper left hand corner. No luck there. Disconnected. So I took another approach and called 411 for a local realtor service. You can do a search for contact information for a specific realtor. I remember hearing about this from a co-worker who'd sold his place in Greatwood. Malone was listed under a little Remax affiliate office in Katy. I got that number and called there, left a message. Evelyn... The owner called me back and said Malone hadn't worked there in forever. He up and vanished. Left her with all kinds of issues. She thinks he had financial problems and bailed from Mexico. I find it hard to swallow a theory told to me in stage whisper, but maybe that's just her personality. Still, that's two people gone. Before I thought maybe mom just moved in with stepdad, now I don't know what the hell to think. The call went on for a half an hour. I got to hear the HR nightmare Evelyn went through thanks to Kurt's disappearance. Halting his benefits, freezing the 401k plan, surrendering documents to the police, etc. I finally broke in and asked about the house, the one out in West Houston he owned. She got very quiet after that. It took me another 10 minutes to answer her questions about who I was. This time I was honest and upfront with her. I guess it paid off, because she believed me, or at least believed in my intentions. And she checked her records. I have an address, Eric. Kurt had his own home in Sugarland, but get this, he was renting a house from a client way out west near Pecan, Gro Pecan Grove Plantation. The paperwork was curious, since he was supposed to be selling this place, but the previous owners had signed off on it in multiple places, like it was no real conflict of interest. 
She didn't know what happened to the house after it was seized by the bank. I guess I'll find out tomorrow when I drive out there. I'm close, man. I'm real close. Do you think this is how Bram Stoker would have written Dracula if he wrote it nowadays? <laughs> Instead of the letters, Dear Mina. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I like that. Alright, so there's a note here. It says that Mark was able to send text messages from his phone, but I frequently received them late, sometimes hours after he sent them, as is the case with the September 21 messages. So, here's one from September 16. Where are you? Call me. So, <laughs> it is in all caps. Yeah, and yeah. And it is short. Uh, I am quality. Where are you? Call me. You know, like, uh, what's the, uh, the T9 way of typing back in the uh, early 2000s? All right, so this is September 16, 8.25 p.m. The house is the subject. Holy fuck. <laughs> I tried calling you five times today, but I got your machine. I really need to talk to you. Call me as soon as you can. Where do I start? The house is still there. It's this generic one-story thing, bricks and siding. Must have been built at the same time as the other homes in the neighborhood, but it just looks older. The roof is scarred in places. Driveway hasn't held up like the others have. Cracks in the pavement. Plank is missing from the side gate. I rang the doorbell and figured I'd just talk to the new owners. No one answered. I couldn't really hear if it worked or not. Blinds and curtains in the windows kept me from peering inside. There was a dusty pickup truck with a warped front fender parked in the driveway. A neighbor across the street saw me checking it out. He talked to me for a while as he watered his shrubs. <laughs> he hasn't met the person who lives in the house now, or if anyone is living there really. He remembered Kurt, but not by name, just as the guy who stayed there for a few months. The previous owners, Kurt's clients, didn't live there that much longer. They had all sorts of problems with the house. Electrical, heating, that sort of thing. They moved out, left most of their furniture behind, he said. Packed into a big RV one day and just drove off. He still remembered their names. John and Lucy Madsen. The couple that was murdered at the diner. Yeah, they were. I drew. What a twist! Yeah. September 18th, 2004. Response. Update. Hey, Eric. We're playing phone tag. When you called, I was already on the plane, and when I called back, I guess you were at the hospital again. Really sorry to hear about Connie. Any idea what it is yet? Food poisoning? Something else? What are the doctors saying? I'm in Boise now. I nabbed a ticket on short notice, got on standby, I left my car at the George Bush Airport in Houston. Jen freaked out when I told her, then she got very terse, said I should do what will make me happy, and hung up. What will make me happy? Christ. I don't think Christ is the answer, I think he's just saying Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know a soul in Idaho, I haven't slept in two days, I'm charging everything to my visa and I have no idea how I'm going to pay it off. My watch stopped working yesterday. I've got this weird ringing in my right ear. It comes and goes. Annoying as hell. I'll tell you what will make me happy. Closing my eyes and not seeing Andrew stare back at me. What are you going to do once you get there? Do you plan on telling the police the Madsen connection? Do you think the Madsons left something in that house that drove Drew nuts and he killed them four years later? Seriously, this is fucked up. Yeah, I don't know what to think. 
Right now, it's just a connection. They lived in the same house. The Madsons were there for four and a half months, and Drew was there for ten days. I have no idea what it means. I'll email you when I figure something out. I feel like I should pass this along to some people, like to get you some help out there. Or bring in the feds or something. I don't know if anyone else has managed to make the connection you did, and it's an important one to the case. Can I forward your emails and contact info to someone? I've been thinking about that, because I was going to ask you to do that for me at first. But now I don't think I'll get the kind of help I need. Let's face it, there are enough unexplainable pieces to this thing. I'm going to get two kinds of interest. Nuts and skeptics. I wouldn't mind so much the skeptic except I get this vision in my head of some guy calling Jenny, calling my parents, calling my boss at work, looking to paint the picture of a guy who's lost his mind after hearing that his dead friend went nuts. I really haven't been totally honest with Jenny or my supervisor at the office because this is not something you can easily explain. I've been calling in sick to work. I told Jen I had to go to Boise to ascend a pseudo-wake. I don't want that to bite me in the ass while I'm looking into Andrew's past. Here's what you can do for me, though. You can hold on to this stuff as evidence or whatever. If something crazy happens and I'm in trouble, use this to explain the situation for me. Forward emails to my friends or family. Maybe if they read them, they'll understand what I'm going through. I know you didn't mean to inherit this job. I'm sorry to make you do it, but I really appreciate the help. Mark in Potato Land. September 20, 2004. Subject, new lead. Update. I called the hospital, the one where Andrew was taken back in August, and asked some pointed questions about where Andrew's body went. Who picked it up? Did a relative or friend show up? The answer was no, but he was tagged with John and Lucy, and I kept demanding some sort of lead. So the intern gave me the names of the relatives who were called in to confirm the IDs of the Madsons, and to arrange for funeral home delivery. John's cousin lives out here. I'm about to head out and meet Greg Archer, the cousin, and his wife. I'll write again from the hotel. M. Same day, September 20th, 2004, 10.40 p.m. Subject, the Archers. Back. That was strange. I met the Archers. I know what you said last time I called, how I need to stop lying because it'll make it harder on me later. It will make it harder on me later because it'll make it harder on me later but I wasn't about to tell them I'm a good friend of the guy who killed Greg's cousin I said I knew the Madsons when they were in Houston I had some burning questions about what happened to them as I claimed they practically dropped off the map when they were when they left town I hadn't heard from them since Greg did most of the talking his wife Helen was pleasant in that stiff smile way but she found ways to interrupt my chat with Greg and remind him of other things he needed to get done. The more she did it, the more I encouraged Greg to keep chatting. The Madsons, as he tells it, had a long future planned in Houston. John got a transfer to Schlumberger Oil and looked forward to settling down. Then things started to go wrong after they moved in. Just little things that piled up. Their car kept getting flat tires. Lucy broke her ring finger while futzing with the dishwasher. Trouble getting mail. Their phone got disconnected when they didn't pay the bill for two months. A bill they never got. That sort of thing. Finally, something happened. Greg doesn't know what. It was enough to get them put the house on the market. That same week, John sold all his company stock, gutted his 401k, quit his job, and put everything into a big RV. He and Lucy drove off into their new motorhome and never looked back. 
They'd been driving around the country the last five years nomadic. Lucy got pregnant in 2002 but miscarried. They still kept on the road. Greg thinks they would have just kept driving through Idaho if the RV hadn't broken down with an AC problem. Greg says John called him up out of the blue and asked if he and Lucy could stay over. Greg made the guest room upstairs, and he and Helen welcomed them in their house for a week. This was right before the shooting. Here's where it gets stranger. Greg took me up to the guest room and pointed to the some spots on the carpet right in front of the closet door. Furniture footprints, like something had stood there. Greg said it was the dresser, the one against the opposite wall. They barricaded the closet door for the duration of their stay. It was the strangest thing. He also noticed that they kept the bedroom light on around the clock and bundled up with the spare set of woolen blankets for the bed. Greg never found the right way to ask a number of questions. I think he felt a little better talking to me about it. I'm not his cousin, but I'm someone who listened to him and agreed it was bizarre. I left Greg and Helen's not feeling any better. I feel worse now. I ache the way you're sore right before you get really sick. I'm trying to put things together. I really am. I'll have to go to the police now, don't I? I'll go first thing in the morning. I promise, Eric. September 21, 2004. Subject, no subject. <laughs> hey. Oh, and I guess we should point out that now we're not using capitals at the beginning of the sentences. His writing is getting sloppier. Yes. Hey, I just saw this thing on Discovery Channel. Probably a rerun. I bet you can catch it sometime. All about natural predators and stuff. Wild things. Yeah, I'm up watching TV since I can't sleep. Anyway, they had this thing on the Venus flytrap talking about how it lures the curious insect to its lip, and then these invisible hairs or something sense when one of the suckers lands on it and wham, swallows the bug, just like that. Later on, it spits out the skeleton of the fly and waits for the next victim. Some types of flytrap plants emit this odor to entice more food, says the voice on the TV. The fancy name for them is Dionia muscipula. Yeah, did I do that right? <laughs> where, where is this? Dionia muscipula. Di- Dion- I'd say Dionia, because I tend to say Dionysus, so Dionia muscipula. Dionia muscipula. Okay, fair enough. Maybe. I don't know. I know, I know just as little as you do. <laughs> Well, you called that Guillermo del Toro-produced movie The Orphanage by its proper name oh, earlier. Oh, is it Guillermo del Toro? No, I, was, I think he produced it. Oh, he produced it. Yeah, I but you sure. said it in the original language. And all, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I know a little bit of Spanish. I'm better at listening to it than I am speaking it. I can listen to it very easily. I can't interpret it or speak it, but listening <laughs> oh, is simple. No, I mean, I, I, can, <laughs> I understand. I can interpret it. Uh, so I wonder if that's all this is. This whole thing with the shooting and the anonymous article in Houston and the footprints on the carpet. It's all to get me into the Venus flytrap. Only the scent isn't sweet sap, it's guilt. Guilt over all those times I was around Drew and didn't do anything. You know what I mean? And I'm flying all over the fucking country and my head is buzzing and I think I'm getting close to the truth. But really I'm tickling some invisible hair and the ground is about to fold up on me, swallow me down into that place where Nancy Hughes and Ken Malone went. 
I'm gonna go take some sleeping pills. I hope Connie is going better, man. I miss Jen. She has a way of making me feel like I'm home just by being around her. I'm tired of motels. I'm sorry, Eric. I'm so sorry. M. September 21st, 2004, 12.15 p.m. Subject where Andrew stayed. Eric. Bingo. I went to the police and asked to talk to Lieutenant Perez. Instead, I got Detective Sokloff. He said he was working the Hughes case now. I'm more inclined to think he was just running interference for Perez in case I was a wacko. Anyway, I told him about the Madsen connection with Andrew to see if that would help. He said they'd look into it. Then he started with the questions about me, and I looked for a way to cut the chat short. Police stations make me uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't fucking say police stations. Police stations make everyone uncomfortable. The rest of the talk was rather banal. And at the end of it, almost offhandedly, he asked if I wanted to sign for Andrew's personal effects since they copied all of the important stuff. I said sure, even though it made me feel like they've already written off this case. Drew's been busy the last four years. He has driver's licenses to Kansas, Colorado, Arizona, California, and Idaho. Looks like he stayed at a friend's house because none of the addresses printed on the license plate have apartment numbers. His Idaho license is just two months old, and it has the address of the rental home where he stayed. I'm gonna drop by this afternoon and see what happened to his things there. Maybe there's a clue to how he knew where to find the Madsons or why he shot them. Perez, or somebody, had done this already, I'm certain, but I'm not sure he looked very far. Wish me luck. Mark. Alright, September 21, 4.14pm. And this is, there's no subject and it's all caps. <laughs> it says, standing in front of house now. It's the same one, the Houston house. Same marks on roof, same fence damage. Just talked to old man across street. He says house has been here for years. Rented out as far back as he can remember. I rang the doorbell. No answer. It's exactly the same, Eric. I don't understand. Ears ringing again. I don't know what to do. How is it the same? There's a way into the house here. Where are you? Pick up the phone. I'm going inside. Inside the house. Nobody is here. Air is cold. Metal smell. I found stairs. Going up. Didn't see second story from street. Did you call? Signal cuts off. Three bars, then no bars. I'm looking for more of Drew's stuff here. Layout is really bizarre. Lots of rooms. Door at end of hall. Made of metal. Checking other rooms instead. Call? Found something. Drew's backpack. Getting out of here now. Think someone's here. I just heard something. The door is open. I, uh, the first time I read this in high school, I think all of those messages are on different pages, like different emails. So when you click through them, you're just like, right. You're just going downstairs. You're like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Things are not making sense. This is crazy. I remember the minute he mentions like going to the second floor, don't remember seeing a second floor from outside. Like I was like, Oh shit, there's some like 
dimension crazy madness thing going on. I don't even know how to categorize it. It's kind of like, it's very House of Leaves, but it's also very like Lovecraft. It's very weird with little explanation, but I think it's fucking cool. So you don't think it's just one of those houses that looks bigger on the inside than on the outside? The house just doesn't... I don't think the house is supposed to make sense. I think the house is supposed to be an enigma. You know, the way he describes it as a Venus flytrap is really interesting, but I think above all else, what I actually think of is, like, season three of Channel Zero. You like, no end house, like the stairs in the middle of the woods. Just, like, how banal and uninteresting that image probably is, but... You know, they make it interesting by adding a door at the top that looks like it leads to nowhere. And it's right. just like, it's surreal. I'm four episodes into that. Oh, uh, are you? On your future sponsor, Shudder. <laughs> <laughs> future sponsor, Shudder, hit us up. <laughs> September 27th, 2004. Subject for Thursday. Hello, Eric. This is Jennifer. I'm on Mark's PC now. I did like you suggested, and I've looked through his outbox, and I don't see any emails about this to anyone else. There aren't that many, really. He didn't tell me a lot of this stuff, Eric. Like, now I'm reading the last thing he sent to you back on the 13th. I didn't know he was so emotional. Why didn't he tell me about this? But anyway, like you said, he wrote to you from his laptop when he was in Houston and Boise, and the police up there said they found that in his hotel room, and they're taking their own sweet time checking it out for clues, so yeah, I'll keep asking for that to be sent down. What el Where else should I look? I don't know what else to do here except wait until you come down and look at it. He does have AIM, but I can't tell where the chat logs would be saved or anything if he's done that. Please tell me what else I can do. You know more about what he was up to than anyone else. Because of this old friend the two of you had who went crazy and now Mark is missing for almost a week. Please send me the other emails he sent you. Please, I want to know now. Jen. In October 1, 2004. Subject, undeliverable mail. Unknown user, X. Receipt to generated following response, 550 unknown user. Original message follows. And the original message is from X at X point X. No subject. It looks like an article. Yes. It is an article. That is definitely an article. Human arm and leg bones found on street. Scottsdale residents got a shock at the start of their morning commute when they found what seems to be human bones lying in the road on Sage Drive. Crime scene technicians arrived within half an hour and began to sweep the scene for more evidence that might help identify this human victim, or at least an establish an approximate time of death. Police spokesman Daniel Swift said bone evidence alone isn't usually enough to determine identity or even cause of death. These remains didn't just appear in the road, they were moved here, Swift said. Therefore, we're asking any witnesses to contact the police with information that might pertain to what happened. No other evidence was found along Sage Street or in yards of neighboring homes. More on this story as it develops. And after that, we've got whoever you are, whatever you are, fuck you. I may not know you, but I can tell what this is, and I'm not fooled. Your Venus flytrap game won't work. I'll make damn sure to warn Jenny and others too. So, nice try, but no one is falling for your bait this time. 
it stops here. Then why post it all online? <laughs> Update. It has become painfully obvious that, although I want this to end, for all of us to have closure regarding Mark's disappearance, the trail he left has raised too many unanswered questions. Since the time I first published this site for Jen and those close to Mark, new information continues to arrive from a variety of sources. In my last posted email, I refused to take the bait. I said it would stop here, but it doesn't stop there, not by any stretch. The page will chronicle my findings and other resources as I discover them. Some may have no connection to how or why Mark vanished. Only time will tell. A final note for those of you like Sandra and Nathan Condry, the truth is I don't yet know what to believe with this whole thing, but I know what I don't want to believe. October 14th, 2004. Jen called. She spoke with Boise police again yesterday, and they have finally agreed to ship down the laptop once she gets it and looks at it herself. She'll send it my way if I find anything new. I'll add it here. October 17, 20, 2004. I guess nobody really says 2004. Um, <laughs> it would have worked. October 17, 2004. <laughs> Among the spam today, I received this email from someone who seems to have stumbled upon the site. From... Mr. Paranoia, subject the house. Very interesting. If it's real, I have some information for you. I don't know Mark, but that won't matter once I send you this link. Based on what I've researched, those who have figured out what this flytrap house is risk becoming its next victim. Not everyone is eaten by it slash them, maybe. Some may just not be psychologically susceptible to it, the way some aren't able to be hypnotized. But if you walk away knowing too much about it, the house will get to you. Sooner or later, witness the Madsons. Maybe you don't want to know anything else. Well, regardless of how I feel about it, this site isn't for me. So in case you read it here first, send me what you have and I'll decide if I want to share it, Mr. Paranoia. Also, don't expect me to publish your messages to me ever again. I am not a PR firm. <laughs> October 22nd, 2004. After trading emails several times with Mr. Paranoia, he finally sent me the link he mentioned in the 1017 email. Jen, I've read it already and I want you to treat it as a hoax, unless you get something in the mail from a grocery store in Arizona. Call me when you've read it and we'll talk. It's a live journal site, which means to read it chronologically, you have to scroll to the bottom all the way and work your way up. The journal's author is allegedly a 16-year-old named Danielle Stevens. And here's the link. That is part two, layer two of the story. We are not going to read part two, three, or four. They are different authors' experiences on different websites. Okay. Different blogs that somehow link back to people having lived in a Dianaya house. Okay. October 26, 2004. Jen, please call me back. I know it must be driving you crazy, but do not go to Phoenix. Mark was never there, despite what the postmark says on that box. The keys are just like the article about Andrew. Bait. Please, please don't do this. Send me the laptop and we'll figure it out together, okay? I wouldn't have to put this here if you'd answer your phone. I know you visit this page regularly. Call me. 10-26-2004, late. Lots of responses. I didn't expect this. Thank you for your support and your technical notes. At this time, I cannot involve and will not involve anyone else for a number of reasons. Please respect my decision on this matter. I will keep 
the contact information for the paranormal investigators, and I will continue to help those close to Mark as best as I can. Please, no more phone calls. Connie is going out of her mind. Thank you. October 27, 2004. Sandra slash Nathan, check your email. I finally heard back from the Sprint PCS service rep today. No more account authorization hassles. He said their records show, and have billed for, only 14 text messages from Mark's phone on September 21, the last one time stamped at 511. He's sending me a copy of the logs, but I'm not sure if they'll do us any good at this point. Awaiting the laptop now. 1028-2004. I've been contacted by Diane M., who says she was friends with Lucy Madsen when she lived in Houston. Hello, Eric. A friend linked me to the site asking if it was the same Lucy I knew when I lived in Sugarland. After doing some reading, I'm convinced it is. I had no idea what happened to her after she and John moved. Lucy and I met through a little book club some mutual friends started up. We were both readers. Yes, she and John had all sorts of unexplainable problems with that house. I remember seeing some of them firsthand, like the leak. After reading about your friend Mark, I stewed a bit, then called up my father. I often talked with Lucy on AIM when she lived here and thought maybe some of those old dialogues would be of use to you, but they would have been on my old PC, which I gave to my dad a year ago. I went over earlier tonight and dug through the program files for any sign of my AIM chats with Lucy way back when. Dad had removed a lot of stuff, he deletes things, but I did find a scrap from February 1999. It's the one I remembered, the one that made me curious to visit. Note, I don't really think it's a supernatural thing. I'm more prone to think Lucy had a sort of nervous breakdown, and created or imagined traumatic moments in the house. The rest of it, like your friend's experience, I can't explain, but I hope you find closure soon. The attachment wouldn't open, but hopefully Diane will try again. I got the chat log and converted it to HTML. I don't know if Diane is still using her screen name or if Lucy's is taken by a new user now, so to protect them from any unwarranted IMs, I've removed the numbers from the end of their NICs. If there are users with the NICs in this log, they are not the same people. For your information, here's the AIM chat log. I'm sure that's another layer of the story that also another doesn't link. quite matter. Mm. So, October 29, 2004. Laptop arrived. There's a lot to sort through here, most notably some pictures Mark must have downloaded from his camera phone, but his laptop wasn't equipped with Photoshop or any other photo app, so I can't see more than thumbnails. I'll move them to my hard drive along with recent files and see what I can find. Also, it's crunch time at the office, so I'll be working this weekend, FYI. Maybe we all could use a little mental break from this. October 31st, 2004. We all know what October 31st is. Halloween! Hooray for automated FFTP? I think that's how you pronounce that. I don't don't know what that means, though. Uh, Hooray for automated FTP uploading. If this sees publication, it means I'm still not back from my trip to this never-ending suburban grid in the valley. Consider it a precautionary update. When I return, I'll remove this link, since I can't stand sounding like some sort of martyr, nor do I like the cause of panic. In the meantime, in case it would wind up being important, I've been keeping a personal log, another layer, on a remote host. 
Don't worry about me, Connie. I'm sure I'll have quite a story to tell. Love. E. And then October 4. This is the next year. Mm-hmm. It's almost a whole year later. Okay. This is Connie. It has been nearly one year since Eric drove off and never came back. I don't know how to do HTML. I don't know if this is how Eric did things. I'll be doing good just to copy this page back onto the website. What has happened in a year? A lot. Not enough. I don't have any answers, just a million questions. Let's see. I met Jennifer and Rachel, who is Karn's girlfriend. Uh, oh, Cam's Cam's. girlfriend, rather. Since Karn isn't a real name. (laughs) So Rachel is Cam's girlfriend. The three of us still keep in touch. Legally, Eric and Mark and Cam are considered missing. That makes some things very hard on us. What else? I have a mountain of files, emails, letters, digital photos that may or may not have anything to do with their disappearance. Every time I tried to start in, I got overwhelmed. So last week, I hired someone to go through all of it for me and see if anything made sense. The reason I'm finally learning this thing is that he has found one or two pieces to this puzzle, and I feel a responsibility to continue what my husband began. This is a test post. Later this week after I hear back from Jenny, I will post more information. XO. XOC. C. October 12th, 2005. Well, for one reason or another, the new information has yet to be verified, so until I hear back from my source, I can't post the link. Now I get how hard this is. You never know who is on the other end of a modem. Thanks for your patience, all three of you who are still reading XOC. October 14, 2005. Despite the fact that she just used her diary to lash out at me instead of answering me privately, I will link to a live journal by a woman who claims to know about what both Mark and Eric were investigating. Edit. Okay, I'm still figuring out the link thing. And then there's a link to the blog of Laureen Mathers. Hoping that works. XOC. So that is everything that exists on the server of the website that is called Dianaya House. There is um, the first spinoff story that we are not going to read is about a young girl in the 90s growing up in that in, in a Dianaya house or near one and she used to like babysit near one and always noticed weird things about it the next uh spin-off story was about Eric in uh going around the country looking for Dianaya houses um and then he stops responding you know, he thinks he finds one, and then... These are all the stories that are linked on this story. Correct. And then the blog of Laureen Mathers is the only really confusing one. And that's because it's like... It takes place the same time the Eric one... Uh, the Eric and Mark one does. But it's, a, it's an insane woman who's been institutionalized after being released as a, like probationary period like ward of the state kind of thing right she starts to openly try to leak information that the government does not want her to leak she uses the blog as a way of communicating with people but the government doesn't like pick up on it until she's already like said everything she's wanted to say and like warns people about these types of houses and that they exist much like um 
I imagine much like the cube as like some sort of phenomenon that doesn't quite make sense. Right. Um. Initial thoughts. Oh, it it was definitely a good story. Um, I like the point of view of the Mark character. Um, I, I was trying to think as we're reading it if I've read another story that was composed of emails before because I just I feel like I have. I couldn't I couldn't quite put my finger on it though. But I like the format. It's an awesome format for this story. It is so much fun to read when it's like snippets like you know screenshots of emails right you know you are um you are scrolling through an html link to a chat log you are clicking between pages of a blog and you know one blog leads to another and it leads to another and they reference other things and they just kind of like spider web out to all these various sources that i don't even think are all written by the same person right i would actually assume that they're they're probably at least half of them, maybe the Babysitter one and the Laureen Mathers one, might, might even be written by different people. Um, the guy who wrote Dianea House um, optioned it as like a script for a movie, um, and it was supposed to be made, and I don't think it ever was. Um, I don't remember what it was going to be called, because it wasn't being called Dianea House. It was no, because being... nobody would know how to pronounce that. Nobody does know how to pronounce that. That's a good point. I really like this story, and I think that um, context builds it. You know, it's one of those situations where, um, I guess this is a good question to ask. How do you feel about uh, handicam footage movies? I, my initial reaction is always negative. And <laughs> And then I'll see one that I like, and I'll be like, oh, but that one's all right. And then uh, one time I was kind of thinking about this. What are the found footage movies that I like? And there were actually more than I thought there would be, because I, as soon as I'm reading a description of a movie, and I figure out it's found footage, I'm like, oh, well, forget it. I'll watch something else. Fuck because it. Because so, it's so easy to make a shitty one. Yeah. And there are so many, but... One of my favorite horror movies from the past few years, Creep, is a found footage yes, movie. Yes, it is. And Mark Duplass is amazing. It wouldn't be... The found footage is integral to the whole story. There's, the format, the yeah, dynamic. you couldn't have it without it. Um, but my initial reaction is always like... Like if somebody said, hey, I've got a slasher movie and a found footage movie, I'm like, slasher movie, right right away without oh, of course. thinking about it. I'm not asking you to gladiator battle two different formats i'm just i think um i think i like a lot of found footage stuff i think um the the wreck recorded series uh the spanish zombie series is phenomenal the american adaptation uh quarantine was not great yeah i've seen wreck and i've seen quarantine but yeah. I, i've not continued with um, it I was a sucker for Cloverfield. I fucking loved it. I'm yeah. big. I'm big on monsters like kaiju's. Big on that shit. Love Godzilla. <laughs> so uh, I was a sucker for the uh, the first Cloverfield film. That that one pulled me in. Uh, Blair Witch. You know you gotta experience it, even if I think it's bullshit. You you gotta watch it at least once. 
Um, and I actually liked, I liked the, uh, the new one that Adam Wingard did. I actually really liked it. And I know a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of, I know that there were, there have been a few over the years that were pretty decent. Um, Cloverfield is pretty good. I like that. I like that it's found footage and giant monster. It's kind of a cool combination. There was one that came out within the last year called, was it called 3D Found Footage? I think the title might be Found Footage. I can't think of it. This this doesn't sound familiar to you? Shudder got it, and they had a regular version and a 3D version. And so I pulled out (laughs) my... Yeah. My red and blue 3D glasses from my Friday the 13th Part 3 DVD, and I watched this movie called Found Footage, probably called Found Footage, and it was (laughs) god-awful. Because it was, the only thing was that it it was a gimmick that this was 3D (laughs) Found Footage. But it's like watching a 3D movie of... Like if somebody was making a 3D movie of us just sitting here on the couch with the dog, you know, <laughs> with the beer and the cider. Um, um, like, why did they do this in 3D? Yeah, <laughs> it, it adds nothing to the... Uh, Sorry, that was probably a little bit off, off No, subject, that's totally but... okay. There's, um... I, 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 the entire time we were talking, I was trying to think of like, oh man, I watched a found footage thing I really liked the other day. Um... It's gone. I don't have it. It's somewhere else. I'll remember it. It's uh, it's not horror. Not really. Not truly. But I will. Uh, I'll think about it and I'll and I'll remember it. Um. But yeah, that was uh, that was lots of pasta. That was episode one nineteen here with Mark Rooster. Uh, you you got any final thoughts? Anything you want to talk about to bring it home or any final messages? Any final messages? Anything you want to say to the people of the world? Uh, yeah, happy holidays. Except that this will be coming out. I think, uh... I in think, two months. I think Valentine's Day. So I hope you all had a nice holiday. <laughs> I hope a you happy have a new happy year. new year. <laughs> Everybody's sticking to their resolutions. You know they're not. <laughs> you know they're not. They're all faded off. I'm the only one who sticks to all of his New Year's resolutions every year. What has been your New Year's resolutions? Oh, I always have a list of 15 or 20, and I stick to every one. No, no. <laughs> no, I never do a single one. He, uh... No, I'm not gonna... I, uh... I... I went, I went to the gym until May, and then I gave up. January that, to that, May? That was my New oh, Year's resolution. That sounds awful. Um, I, well, to my... Five months of going to the gym. (laughs) To my benefit, the reason I stopped is because I was in a car accident, so... (laughs) I couldn't physically go anymore. Oh, man, uh, this, uh, I, I hope, I hope you lovebirds out there enjoyed this episode, listening to this in a naked embrace in your bedroom this Valentine's Day 2019 coming to a theater near you. I think Dinea House has a, uh has a loving quality to it. You know, it's about relationships that care about each other enough to go get disappeared for, for each other and never come back. I think, uh, I think the story was a lot of fun and I, uh, can't wait to have you back on another episode. All right. Thanks a lot. 
<laughs> You're the first person to thank me for recording. <laughs>